You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Transformers Part 9. Enjoy. Thank you guys. Thank you so much, man. You know me, I, you guys can play all day, but if you want to rest, go ahead and rest. Thank you guys. So this is for you guys, all right? This is for you. God doesn't want any interference between His voice in your life, um, between His voice in your heart. And you'll hear me talk about the voice of God, and I'm not talking about an audible voice like you're hearing my voice. It's much better than that. Have you ever heard, heard, thought you heard someone say something that they didn't say? I've done that a lot of times. I said, what did you say? And then they said it again. I said, oh, never mind. I thought you said something. <laughs> Our ears can uh, mishear things. Our eyes can missee things. But your spirit is different. Your spirit is not like that. When God's Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit, you'll never forget it. And it's not an audible thing. It's a spirit thing. I don't know if I can articulate it, but it's just God will impress something upon your heart. And when he does that, it never goes away. And there's no question about what you heard. And the devil will come in with fear saying, oh, well, he didn't mean, or did God really say that? Sure, he'll come in with those doubts. But if you'll just be quiet in the presence of the Lord, what he spoke to you, you'll see is, is just as strong. And it remains just like the moment he first spoke it. Because God is not lessened by time. His plan for you does not decrease as time goes on. He's not, uh, he's not discouraged by your mistakes or failures. His plan for you is in full, it's intact. It hasn't, it hasn't decreased. And he's able to bring it to pass. He's able to do. He's able to do it. He's able to finish what he started in you. And he will do it. So we're in our series, Transformers, and we're talking about being transformed by the goodness of God, by removing wrong beliefs from our hearts and minds about God and replacing them with the real Jesus. So we're going to jump right into the book of Job. How's that sound? Pretty good? And oftentimes, and in my own life, till I understood Jesus better, Till I, till I studied Christ more, I didn't understand the book of Job. And oftentimes when difficulties are coming in people's lives or, or I've gone to pray for someone for healing and they'll say, well, I'm kind of like, they'll say to me, well, maybe I'm like Job. They'll say, you know, I'm, you, know you, you know what God did to Job. And I know what God did to Job. He blessed him. I know what Satan did to Job. He tried to kill him. All right? So there's a lot of misunderstanding about Job. And we're going to get into it, all right? And uh, we'll go as far as we can get today. And, and if we need to continue next week, we will. But I believe this will help you tremendously. But I want you to understand something. Can we put Matthew 6.21 up there, guys? Matthew 6.21. This is the sovereign God talking. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What does that mean? We've all been given the freedom to choose what's valuable to us. So what do you treasure? And I made up my mind, really in 87, 88, as I was coming to receive Christ, that I wanted God more than anything else in my life. If you'll choose to treasure Jesus, your heart will follow after him. The heart doesn't go first. Your will really does. 
what you choose, and you're free to choose whatever you want, right? If what it could be, it could be a sports team, it could be a, a star on TV or, or in music or entertainment, it can be your family. But if you'll choose Jesus, your heart will follow after him. And you can do that right now, okay? And that's sometimes a daily choice or a daily reminder. And when you're choosing Jesus, you're choosing to treasure truth. What you choose to treasure, you will dig for. There's treasure underground. There's oil underground. There's precious minerals. There's gold underground. Might be running underneath your house. I don't know. But what you treasure, you'll start digging for. You'll start moving rocks out of the way. You'll break up the soil, the hard places, and you want to go deeper and deeper. And when you're, when you're treasuring Jesus, you begin to dig for him. In other words, you begin to push through things that were getting in the way of your relationship with him, and you won't settle for anything less than him. Religion won't satisfy you anymore when you treasure Jesus above all else. And I say that because when you study the Bible, there are some treasures in there that you have to dig for. They're not on the surface. But there's some stuff on the surface. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hello. I mean, that's on the surface. Plain as day. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. That is on the surface, right? But there are some things down deep in the Bible that if you treasure Jesus, you're going to have to dig for. And in 2 Timothy 2, 15, uh, we're instructed uh, by Paul through the Holy Spirit to be diligent. That's steady application, right? To be diligent, to be consistent, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So I want to rightly, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to tell people something about God that is not true. So I, I have done my best to be very diligent in the last uh, 20-some years, and, and, and all the more so as I recognize God's calling to get into ministry to rightly divide the word of truth. And I don't have all the answers. But I do believe the Lord has, has opened my eyes to some things that will help you. Um, truth doesn't always leap up off the page when you read the Bible. I've had wonderful times where things just, but there are things deep down that you've got to study and take time to understand. There are things you don't understand today that you're going to understand in a year from now. Really. Just by staying with it. Just by meditating on his promises. I, I, I did not understand it was God's will for me to be healed. It took months and months of study and meditation until it finally clicked inside of me. And from that moment on, my life changed. But truth is like that, and we're all different. Sometimes there's things one person can just accept like that, and, and then there's me. I've got to study it for six months. You know, I don't know. And we're all different. We've been through different things. We're made differently. We process things differently. But stay with it. 
Don't give up. It will click. It will click. All right? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. And remember, our goal is intimacy with Him, to know Him more. Right? That's our goal. All right, let's get into this thing. So what about Job? What happened in his life? Did God really do that to him? There are some keys to understanding the book of Job. And if you don't have these keys, you won't understand it. So let's get these keys before we go in the door, all right? Because you're going to be banging your head against the door if the door is locked. But we've got the keys to open it. Is Job in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Old Testament. Why is that important? Because the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is the difference between death and life. No joke. And today, so many Christians are living with an Old Testament mindset, and they don't know it. They're living their lives, trying to live their lives by the letter of the law instead of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Do you know what Paul called the Old Testament? you know what Paul called the Ten Commandments? The ministry of death and condemnation. And there's people who want to put the Ten Commandments in school. You know what we need in schools? We need John 3.16 and 17. Anybody see the Dolly Parton movie on Wednesday night? came out about like the sequel to her life as a child. You really should watch it. It was a great movie. This was a Christmas story about her family. And uh, she just so naturally preaches Jesus on ABC. Or was it ABC? I don't know what channel it was. And it was a great, great film. But she talked about her experience as a child and how an angel from God saved their family one Christmas when she was growing up. And, and that's what the story is about. It's pretty cool. But uh, why did I bring that up? What were we just talking about? John 3.17, yeah, and the, and the preacher at one point in there at the end of the movie, one of the scriptures he brings up, he says, God, uh, Jesus didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world, right? Um, and that's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is Jesus, all right? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, chapter 7. Let's put it up there, 2 Corinthians 3, 7. This is what Paul's talking about. He says, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, what's he talking about? What was written on stones? Not the rolling stones, right? The Ten Commandments, the law, right? It was glorious. There's no doubt about it. I mean, God writing on stones, that's glorious, right? God taking you through the Red Sea on dry ground, that's glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, right. right? How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? That's what we have today. Yes. More glorious than Moses being on a mountain with God twice for 40 days. Hello. Verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory... The ministry of righteousness, that's what we have today, exceeds much more in glory. For if that which is done away was glorious, it's done away, yep. It's done. It's been fulfilled. Old Testament is no more. Let me, let me break the news to you if anyone hasn't, all right? It's been fulfilled. It's not still in effect. 
All right? Say goodbye to it. Thank God. Thank God for Jesus. For of that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. We don't have anything to be sad about. We're glad it was fulfilled. What we have is infinitely better. So when you're reading the Bible, I want you to ask this question. Did what I just read take place before the cross or after the cross? Very important question. Because not everything in the Bible is the same. There are periods of time in the Bible. There are prophecies. There are seasons. There are situations and circumstances where God was moving in a special way. So you have to ask yourself this question, did what I just read take place before the cross or after the cross? Even the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels was before the cross. Wasn't it? Of course, right? Couldn't be after. It was before. He wouldn't go to the cross yet, right? The ministry that followed the cross after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, was more glorious and is more glorious than the ministry of Jesus for those three-plus years before the cross. He said so. You want to look at it? John 14, 12. We've got to get Jesus' perspective on this thing if we're going to understand the book of Job. John 14, 12. Jesus himself, the sovereign God, says this, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. That's future tense. Why? Because he hadn't gone to the cross yet, right? He will do even greater things than these because I am going, future tense. He didn't go yet. He was, this was before the cross. I'm going to the Father. All right? Chapter 16 of John, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking. You think, boy, I'd love to have been one of the disciples. I wouldn't have. I want to be alive now because it's better. Too many Christians looking back, wishing they were back at some point in the Bible. This is the time, folks. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, who's that? Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Same chapter, verse 13. But when he, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Some translation says he'll show you things to come. And boy, will he. Verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Doesn't get any better than that. Jesus taking what is his and giving it to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's, what I, that's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it yours. Hallelujah. So when Jesus was on earth, there was one person filled with the Holy Spirit, right? But it was never God's plan for one person to be led by the Spirit. It was God's plan for millions upon millions and millions of people to be filled with the Spirit. 
Jesus was to be the firstborn among many. Right? Romans 8.29. So now, after Jesus went to the cross, bore our sins, bore the curse of sin, the, our sicknesses, everything that goes along with it, our shame, went to hell, died, and rose again, and ascended unto the Father. Now, and the Holy Spirit came, anyone who believes receives his Spirit. Now there are many Jesuses, quote unquote, all over the world. I'm talking about Christians. Right? We're, that's a good name for us. We're, we're, we're Jesuses walking around. Right? We have people with Christ living inside of us. Right? You understand what I'm saying? There's one Messiah, but we, are, we have the Messiah living inside of us. All right? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is right now living inside of us. This is the greatest time to be on earth, so don't look back. Look forward. Even in your life since you've been on earth, don't look back. Look forward. Matthew chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus said this, For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see. David would have loved to be in Raynham today. Desired to see what you see and did not see it, to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Abraham never got to really see what we're seeing today. 1 Peter 1.10, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied, they were digging, weren't they? They were searching diligently for the truth, who prophesied of the grace that should come to who? You. They wanted to be in this day. And we're the ones who get the privilege of living on earth at this time. Thank you, Father. You're a good, good Father. 2 Peter 1.19, so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is the prophetic word that we have confirmed? Who God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus. He's the light that enables us to see God clearly. They did not have that. All right? You cannot properly understand the Old Testament. You cannot properly understand Job. You cannot properly understand God apart from the light of Christ. Now, we, we said last uh, time in our series that all Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that. So the Scripture is inspired by a perfect God, but it's written by imperfect people. Interesting, huh? And the Bible doesn't try and hide that. The Bible truly records human nature. <laughs> You've got just about every kind of attitude and personality and funny saying and figure of speech and uh, metaphor that you're going to see in the human race recorded in the Bible. We know that life is not lived in perfect, literal, grammatically correct sentences. We don't talk that way. We don't live that way. And the Bible's not written that way. All right? So it's important that we read the Bible. We understand that. It, it was inspired by God. 
but it's written by people with personalities. People, a lot, you'll see things in the Bible that are people venting, just letting it all out. And the people venting, people uh, expressing their disappointment, expressing their frustrations. But just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that it's an expression of God's will or nature. Very important to understand that, okay? So remember Jesus' standard when you're reading the Bible. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Ask yourself the question, would a good father do that? Would a good father send destruction into his child's life? What do you think? Don't have to think about that very long. Of course not. Just based on that, we know God didn't send destruction into Job's life. Because a good father would never do that. Would a good father put their child into the hands of an enemy? Never. Just because of Jesus in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, we know that God did not put Job into Satan's hand. But it says it doesn't say that. We're going to see. It does not say that at all in the Bible. Been misunderstood. Just by knowing Jesus, we can understand things already. All right? So we don't base our beliefs about God uh, on a passage of Scripture, on a verse, on an, on an event in the Bible. Just because it's in the Bible, it must be a truth that is consistently taught in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, all right? And it must agree with the person of Christ. It must agree with the ministry of Christ because he is God, all right? Now, we're going to go to Job chapter 3 in just a minute, but before we do, Remember, the Bible is a progressive revelation of God. All right, what does that mean? In other words, as time went on, light, more light began to dawn in people's hearts of God, of who God is. So that means the further you go back in the Bible, time-wise, in history, the less light they had on God. They were in darkness in the Old Testament. Boy, were they in the dark. I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just telling you. They were in the dark, okay? They, in fact, Matthew 4.16 says this. And this is a prophecy speaking now that Christ had come. says, the people who sat in darkness, that's everyone prior to Christ's coming. They were sitting in darkness. Everyone after the fall. <laughs> was sitting in darkness, they have seen a great light. Who is that? Jesus, right? And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, where is that? Planet Earth. Hello. Right? That was all of us. Light has dawned. All right? So the Old Testament is full of darkness. And as time goes on, the light gets brighter. What's the oldest book in the New Testament, historically speaking? The book of Job. Now, our, the books in the Old Testament are not arranged in your Bible in chronological order. You know that? They're arranged, they're grouped uh, kind of logically by history. You know, you've got the Pentateuch, you've got um, the 
Um, then Jezebel, the leader of Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd, 7th, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. You got the poetry books, you got the history books, you got the minor prophets, the major prophets, but they're not chronological. So as they studied the manuscripts over the years, they, they believe from everything they can see from the writings and the things that are said that the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And you can see that there's no reference to Abraham. There are no references to a lot of things in Job. It kind of stands on its own. What does that mean? It means the people in the book of Job, including Job, were really in the dark. There are a lot of things said in Job that they had to repent for at the end of Job. A lot of declarations, Job and his friends, except for one. You're going to see there's one person, only one person in the book of Job that didn't need to repent, and it wasn't Job, and it wasn't his three friends. It was another young man that came along. All right? So in the Old Testament, their spirits were dead to God. What does that mean? Their spirits were not born again. Their spirits were separated from God's spirit. They had a covenant with God, right, through the blood of bulls and goats, eventually through Abraham, right? But they couldn't be born again until what happened? Jesus came, right, and, and, and defeated death and rose from the dead, right? So, you see in the Old Testament a lot of ignorance of God. And they developed this attitude, God's people developed this attitude. If they didn't understand something, they basically say, God did it. And I see that today among Christians. We don't understand what happened, so God must have did it. God did it. And it's ignorance. Just because something happened we don't understand doesn't mean God did it. All right, let's give him a little bit more credit than that. He's good. All right? And we're going to see that. Now, we're going to get into the Hebrew language. Oh, yeah, i got to get into this before we read Job. Just, well, let's learn something about the Hebrew language. You know the Bible wasn't written in English, right? Okay? Uh, England wasn't around when the Bible was written, right? The British Empire did not exist when Job was written, all right? Uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Are you ready for this? How are we doing? We okay? It's only been like, you know, uh, 25 minutes since... We started the message, so hang in there. This is, you'll be glad you did. This is life-changing, so please, uh, I encourage you to treasure what you're about to hear. All right, so I, I love studying uh, truth, and I want to share some things for you from some, some Hebrew and Greek scholars. Uh, one of them is Joseph Bryant Rotherham, who in 1902, he released the Emphasized Bible. Um, which is a new translation, a new, at that time, a new translation designed to set forth the exact renderings of the Scriptures. And also from Dr. Robert Young, a famous Hebrew-Greek scholar, and John Howe and Dr. Thomas Pierce and Richard Hooker. Okay, and there's just five, and for time's sake, we'll see, I think we can get along. Just a few paragraphs, really, is what I'm going to read, and then we'll get into Job. But there's something unique about the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language is part of the Semitic languages, You've got Hebrew, Aramaic, Arabic, excuse me, and Aramaic. And what these scholars have noted is that there's a linguistic peculiarity about these languages. Um, and, and it's basically this, that um, the Hebrew conveys an idea that in some circumstances... The subject of the verb in a sentence seems to be 
the active agent of the verb. In other words, you may read a sentence in the Hebrew, and the person that's mentioned in that sentence seems to be the one who's causing what's happening. But it's not the case. It's, it's the one who may be giving permission to what's happening or the one who is not forbidding what's happening, not the one who's causing what's happening. Stay with me. I'm going to read a little bit more. You'll understand as we go. So the subject in many of the verses in the Old Testament is uh, not the one causing what happened, but the one who is either allowing it or not absolutely forbidding it. Let me read you what Robert Young says and some other scholars. The Hebrew language does not have the necessary faculties by which to convey the idea of granting permission or the idea of giving occasion to another party on which to act. For example, in, in, in English, we say, he allowed so-and-so to do it. They don't say that in the Hebrew. It, 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 as we translate, it just sounds like he did it. We're going to give you some examples. So stay with me. Instead of an active verb tense, excuse me, instead an active verb tense is used. They don't even really call them tenses in Hebrew. They're states of the verb. But an active verb tense is used, and the reader is meant to understand, listen to this, from the context of the statement or from the known nature of the person that's being discussed, um, that permission or occasion is being implied. Stay with me. Let me read this from uh, John Howe, Dr. Thomas Pierce, and Richard Hooker. It is then so common in holy scriptures to speak of God as actually doing that which he simply permits. Let me read that again. It is very common in Holy Scriptures to speak of God as actually doing that which He simply permits and does not absolutely hinder men from doing. Okay? Did you catch that? That this, um, let me see, that this may be justly regarded as an idiom of Eastern speech of the Semitic languages. Perhaps this form of expression may have been occasioned in part at least by the poverty of the Hebrew language, which contains no term that accurately expresses what is understood by simple permission. Now here's, the, here's a, a great summary statement. So that things which God did not choose to absolutely hinder, he is said to have done. Let me say that again. You'll see this throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, mainly in the Old Testament. So that things which God did not choose to absolutely hinder, he is said to have done them. Give you an example. 1 Samuel 16, 14. We doing okay? I'm going to give you some examples now. Pinch yourself if you need to wake up here. Here's a great example. There's many of these through the Scriptures. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16, 14, guys. Okay. Now look what this says. Now if you didn't know any better, look at But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. 
What? So if I don't know any better, I read that, I think God sent an evil spirit to trouble Saul. Wouldn't that make sense if you read that in the English? Is that what happened? It is not what happened. How do I know that? I've studied Jesus. Okay, because I've studied the scriptures. Here's a great example of reading something you can misunderstand, but you've got to dig. You've got to study Jesus. You've got to study the, the character of God to know that God is not evil and he has no evil spirits. Listen, if evil spirits are from God, we have no right to resist them. Right? Didn't we learn that when we talked about Jesus in, uh, what was it, Matthew... Uh, when he talked about the kingdom being divided, I forget what chapter it is. We did that a couple weeks ago where he, he taught, they accused him of having an evil spirit, right? Rebu of de delivering people by an evil spirit. He said, God's kingdom's not divided, right? Same thing. If God is sending evil spirits, we're all in big trouble. So look, so I go to the scriptures here as Matthew 12 is what it was. There it was, 21 through 29, Right? So what makes sense here when I share with you these scriptures is that the Lord did not hinder this evil spirit from coming into Saul's life. You study Saul's life, it's not pretty. He, he got into some nasty stuff, consulting sorcerers, right? He left God. He turned from God. He became a very dark man, all right? He opened the door for Satan in his life. God can't stop us from doing what we want to do. He wants to, but we're not robots. We can choose darkness, and he, he'll put up roadblocks, he'll do everything he can to, to steer us away from that. But if we don't respond, if we, our hearts become hard and we keep going, you know, he, he becomes limited in our lives. And I know that sounds shocking, but it's true anyway. James 1.13 says this, let no one, remember this verse now, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Right? For God can't be tempted by evil. He doesn't have any evil. Right? He himself does not tempt anyone. He would never do that to Saul. Right? See, we're getting light now on that scripture. 1 John 1.5. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God's light. Light is synonymous with love and goodness and righteousness. Right? And in him there is no darkness. Darkness is synonymous with ignorance and evil. There is no darkness at all. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Do you know we were never intended to speak different languages? That happened because of the stubbornness of man's heart. God didn't want that to happen. Man brought that upon him. And that, uh, different languages cause a barrier, don't they? I love studying languages. They're beautiful, but it'd be nice to understand everybody. Right? See, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. Psalm 5.4, for you are not of, excuse me, you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells with you. How could God send an evil spirit if he doesn't have any? You see in this, all right? We're digging deeper here. Psalm 1, we're applying the light of Christ to the Old Testament is what we're doing right now. You see how we're doing this? You have to do this in your Bible study or you're going to miss it. You've got to take New Testament light and apply it to the Old Testament. You're going to misunderstand God. That's what we're doing right now. Psalm 145, 17. And boy, how it clears things up. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His deeds. There you go. All right? 
Let's look at another example. Can we do this? Are we okay? All right. I, I, I just feel we should keep on going, so we're going to keep on going. <laughs> hey, is it just great to know Jesus, isn't it? What else better we have to do, right? So Exodus 15, 26. Here's a good one. Another example of this. And said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, uh-oh, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. Huh? For I am the Lord who heals you. Now, either God's schizophrenic or we're misunderstanding something here. The, the Hebrew says, I am your physician. Right? I am the Lord you're healed. I am Jehovah Rapha. Right? Would you go to a doctor who made you sick? I wouldn't. We go to doctors to get well, right? What's happening here? This is the way it's been translated in the English, right? But we know from, the, from Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Interestingly, stay on that verse for a second. I studied this out when I was studying healing back in the mid-90s. The King James says grief and sorrows. Matthew 8, 17 in the King James says infirmities and sicknesses. Because in the Hebrew, that's what those two words are talking about. They're not talking about, uh, they're talking about physical sickness, okay? Other translations bring that out. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom, our physical health, our wholeness was upon him and by his stripes were healed. And as I said, Matthew 8, 17 translates that scripture, New Testament, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities. This was said in the midst of Jesus' ministry, healing and delivering people, okay, and bore our sicknesses. First uh, Peter 2.24, we're applying light, right, New Testament light to Old Testament scripture, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by the way, by whose stripes you were healed, Okay. So we see, if we go back to Exodus 15, verse 26, the way to properly translate this verse is God, was, God is saying, I will not allow or I will hinder the diseases that came upon the Egyptians from coming upon you. I'll be your shield. You understand that? Okay. I did not hinder those diseases from coming upon the Egyptians. I allowed them to, or I did not hinder them. I did not absolutely hinder them. Now, if you'll study the Egyptian culture, man, they were into some nasty stuff. They worshiped some very dark things. They opened themselves up to the plagues. I know people don't teach that enough, but it's true. They opened themselves up to darkness and the plagues, okay, by the things they worship. All right? We're not going to get into all that today because we've got to get to Job, all right? Um, so let's get into Job, okay? Job chapter 3. We'll take about a few more minutes here, and then we'll wind it up, and we'll continue next week. So let's apply the light of Christ. Did you see those? There's just two examples, many more that we could go on for a long time. But did that help at all? You see what we're doing? We're taking the light of Christ, the light of the New Testament. We're applying the Old Testament. We understand there's, there's, there's languages. Uh, there, there are, what do I say, shortcomings in languages. There are. There are sometimes just not words to say what we want to say. Yeah, you can't really know me by my words. You got to know my heart. You do. My wife knows. I say things. She's like, what did you just say? 
You know, I, 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 I don't know how to say what I just said, but she understands what I'm saying even when I don't say it right. You know? It's good. And there's, that's the same as true of God. You've got to know his heart if you want to understand his words. And Jesus is the heart of God. Okay, Job chapter 3, verse 25. So let's apply the light of Christ, the light of the New Testament to the book of Job. This is the key to understanding the book of Job, I think. Well, certainly one of the top ones. Job utters a very revealing statement in chapter 3, verse 25, that explains a lot. He says, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Job had something in his life that he greatly feared, and we're going to see in another scripture that he did so for a long time. Persistently, consistently, over and over again, day in and day out. And let's read it here in chapter 1, verse 5. This fear moved Job to uh, undergo religious ceremonies regularly in his life. Verse 5, and it was so when the days of their feasting, he's talking about their children, getting together, inviting families, having feast parties in their homes, were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, his, his adult children, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, he opened his mouth and confessed this over his life, it may be, I don't really know, I'm just kind of assuming or surmising, it may be that my sons have sinned. I haven't really seen any sin, but I don't know. It may be that they've sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did how often? Continually. What was his fear? That my children have sinned against God. They've done something bad and the judgment of God is going to come. Have you ever had that fear as a parent? You better kill that thing. You have fears as a parent? You better stomp on their head. Don't you ever be afraid for your children, ever. We're sons and daughters of God. They're fearing anything is detrimental to your health. I'm not talking about common sense. If I'm crossing a street and a truck's coming, I'm, I'm not going to cross the street. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about expectation of evil. Cultivating an expectation of negative things for you and your family. You better watch out for that kind of thing. Because if you're not careful, you can end up uh, doing that and weeks and months go by, and you've been entertaining this fear about what if such and such happens to me? What if such and such happens to my children? And that fear will start moving you into religious prayers that aren't prayers of faith. They're prayers of fear, and prayers of fear won't work. The only thing that prayers of fear bring are, is darkness. Job continually did this for a long time. When you, see, fear is faith in the negative. When you continue in fear, 
you eventually will open the door to darkness in your life and quite possibly give spirits of darkness the right of way to do what you've been afraid of for so long. How many times in the Bible does God tell us to not fear or not be afraid? Is that just a clever saying to put on a greeting card? God wasn't trying to be polite. He's teaching us how to live. Do not fear ever, for I am with you. And you've got to make up your mind that you're done with fear in your life because you have lots of opportunities to fear because we're living in a dark world. But anytime fear knocks on your door, you stand up and say, no more. God is with me. He's holding my right hand. He's leading me forward. He's a shield all around me. He's causing all things to work out for my good. Are you hearing this? Are you understanding this? Where does fear come from, do you think? Yeah, the fallen nature and Satan, right? Sure. Fear is a belief that darkness is greater than light. I can't tell you how many moms I've met over the years who are so afraid for their children. What if my child does this? Oh, and they're praying for their children out of fear. And boy, they're praying passionately. But it doesn't work. It could end up having the opposite effect. It's prayers of faith that move mountains, not prayers of fear. All right? You understand the difference? A prayer of faith is confidence in who God is and what he's done for me through Christ. I've heard it said that there, God says 365 times to not fear. I don't know if that's true or not. But one, one time for every day of the year. <laughs> so when we choose to fear, we're elevating darkness above light in our lives. That's exactly what Job did. We're not putting him down at all. We're just, we're just learning you got to learn what, what was the context of his life. He was a very blessed man. He was the wealthiest man around. There was no one like him. He loved God the best he knew how. He had a reverence for God in his life. He was a good man. All right? But fear uh, allowed Satan to enter his life and do what Satan did. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love yeah. and a what? Yeah. A sound mind. Yeah. Right? So whose spirit was influencing Job? Not God's. It was a spirit of darkness, wasn't it? Right? And that's what Satan will do. He'll work on you for years. He'll, he'll introduce a fear into your life and he'll try and get you to cultivate that thing for years. Why? So he can bring it about. Yeah. He'll play with you for years if you let him. And then it happens and people say, oh, look what God did. No, 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 never. Right? So Job, he continued and he practiced and he persisted in this fear. And if you do that, it will affect your mental health. It will affect the quality of your life and it will put you into bondage. All right? Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, talking about Jesus, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
That's what fear will do, put you in bondage. All right? So if you get anything out of today, realize that fear is never your friend. Get it out of your life now and never let it back. For yourself, for your marriage, for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids, it's never right to be afraid. It's not responsible to be afraid. It's not responsible to worry. If you have a concern for him, you begin to speak the promises of God. You grab a hold of God's promises and speak it over their lives and pray for them. Right? Oh, boy, how are we doing? I wanted to get, well, I'm sorry. It's, it's 1130 here. Um, are we okay? Can we pick up here next week? Well, I thought we needed to at least get that far. Then we're going to continue in Job chapter 1 next week, okay? This gives you at least a foundation to process it, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Lord, you don't want to leave us in the dark. You came to bring light so we don't have to be afraid anymore. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to quicken and strengthen everyone in the presence of Uh, in your presence in this place this morning and everyone in the hearing of this message online, that they would know joy and confidence and faith instead of fear and worry and anxiety. Let the light of Christ flood every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.